Turn in your Bibles, please, to uh, 2 Thessalonians. Ah, that's it. 2 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 3. And that'll, uh, we'll start in verse 6. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 6. You find Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians is where you'll be. Chapter 3, verse 6 of 2 Thessalonians. This is God's Word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without uh, paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we did not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this, in this uh, letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, when I was back in high school, uh, I played woodwind instruments and... Uh, they're not very loud on the marching field, you know. And uh, so when, we, when I was in high school and, and uh, I was forced to be in the marching band, uh, I didn't really like this thing on the football field. It didn't feel very manly. Plus, you had, to, you had to do this little, like, steps, you know. I wasn't really into that. But the, it's the, the percussion section, they didn't have to do steps. All they did was kind of schlep up and down the 50-yard line playing their stuff. And it was just kind of a cool section to be in, so I aspired to be in there. And uh, as soon as there was a bass drum opening, I thought I could do that. And so I started playing the bass drum, which was great because the cameras love it. You know, you always got on TV in the parades and stuff like that. They just couldn't resist the big drum, you know. Uh, well, the next year, the triple tom guy graduated. We had a, a set of triple toms. Anybody know what that is? You know the quads that you see in the parades? This is before quads were invented. All they were able to come up with was three at that point. But it was the triple toms, and it was like... You know, that marching band sound. And... Um, so we had a set of those, and, I, and so I thought, I think I could play those things. And so I spent all summer long practicing. I had my freshman, sophomore, and junior yearbook on my bed, and I played on, all summer long on those yearbooks. And I got, the, I got the gig, you know. Well, so here we are in marching band, and uh, I'm not particularly good at it. I've never really played the drums uh, before. And uh, I'm just kind of looking down, just loving it. I'm just loving it. I'm having so much fun, and there's all this movement, and they're so loud, and I'm kind of horsing around at the same time. It was just fun. And we would march a parade, and unbeknownst to me, I would speed the tempo up. And, uh, and I wasn't noticing it. I'm just, you know, I'm just having so much fun. Well, what happens is the band starts walking real fast, and they catch up to the next group of people in the parade. So the first line has to stop, and the next line has to stop. And so pretty, much, pretty soon the whole parade starts to stack up, and everybody's marching in place, and they're touching the person in front of them and touching the person in the back of them. Meanwhile, I'm just doo, 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 don't even know. And then sometimes I would slow down. 
And when I would slow down, the steps would become elongated where people were taking these big steps and sometimes two and three to kind of catch up. And again, I'm looking down. Well, uh, the cause, of course, is that I was consumed with self. I had this incredible self-interest. The adrenaline is pumping. I'm thinking about me, 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 and my drum sounds, you know, and uh, not realizing that there's a ripple that goes through the entire body. Well, friends, this passage before us here can be preached from the negative very easily because it addresses a, and apparently a real problem in the church in Thessalonica, a problem that Paul even addressed in... Uh, yeah, at the end of uh, the chapter of, of First Thessalonians, at the very end, he addresses it more briefly there. But I don't want to preach from the negative uh, for three reasons. Okay, here, here's reason number one. I don't want to preach from the negative. I don't want to come here and go, you know, let's fix this problem. Here's here's the reason why. Number one, uh, and this is not necessarily in order of uh, importance, uh, but uh, just convenience. But uh, first of all, I'm preaching to the Wednesday night crowd. Okay. It buys you a little credibility, you know. <laughs> I just don't. I don't think you, the Wednesday night people deserve to be slapped around uh, over this issue. Okay. Uh, if anything, uh, I think I'm, I'm in this passage. I think God laid it on my uh, heart precisely because you are the Wednesday night crowd. Uh, I'm excited to uh, exhort you. I'm excited to affirm you. I'm excited to uh, to speak positively about this. So I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to uh, invoke some preaching to the choir cliche and then bash you. Um, I, I think it's, it's precisely uh, because of who you are that I want to be in this. Okay, the second reason I don't want to go negative is that the passage is written from the positive. In other words, uh, it's addressing people who are already in step. This passage is a, not a, uh, hey, stop it, y'all. It's a go do. Hey, you guys that are getting it right, go do. You know, so it's written from the positive, um, even though it addresses a negative uh, a thing, the, pa- the passage is proactive. And thirdly, the, uh, the other reason I don't want to go negative is that I don't want to uh, wrangle a passage into making it say what I want to say. You know, that's a misuse of God's word and all that. But, but I, I think, I think uh, there are positive implications uh, of, uh, that we find in the inverse of the problem. What I mean is we see, what, we see what's going wrong and that must mean if this is not good behavior, then this must be good behavior. And uh, that's what I want to kind of put to you all uh, tonight. Okay? So I think that's very much in keeping uh, with what will be our second point tonight. All right. Let's look at our first point, which is what to do with your idols. I'm so glad that my school teacher wife didn't get a hold of that file before she saw it because she would have corrected it. And I, w- I am trying to make a word play there. Let's look at the passage, verse 6. It says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. Now, that is not the kind of verse you can just float on over. I mean, there's a lot in that verse. It's, a, it's powerful. First of all, the thing that should catch our attention is the, beginning, the first words, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that, that, that packs a lot of of weight there. And then he goes on to say, we command you, brothers. All right? First thing that begs a question is, who is we? Well, we know from chapter 1, verse 1, that it's Paul, Silas, and Timothy. That's, that's a we. But there's a deeper uh, sense of we, too. And Paul, the apostle Paul, is speaking in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when, when, the, when an apostle says, we command you, there's a real apostolic sense to it. So, yes, it's Paul, Silas, and Timothy, yes. But there's an apostolic weight to it also. Uh, 
So we go on in verse 6. It says, uh, we command you, brothers, um, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, you know, it's been commented uh, upon many times that this kind of has, and a lot of what Paul says, it has kind of a military snap to it. I mean, you see the word command you. And in fact, if you read, oh, you could start in verse 4 and continue on through. You'll see the word command, command, command. You'll see the word obey. Um, there's a real kind of a military uh, sense to it, and that's because Paul understands that he's reporting to somebody. He understands that he is a soldier, a, a captain uh, under someone's leadership. That would be the Lord Christ. Okay, So there's a military kind of weight to it. He commands them. And yet at the same time, there's a real sense of tenderness. I mean, it's really wonderful. You've got the Apostle Paul uh, carrying out the hard word, and yet he's Pastor Paul carrying out the tender word. If you look at verse 6 again, it says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers the folks who are getting it right, who are not idle, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. So even as he's chastising, he's still viewing the people who are, who are uh, transgressing as brothers, and uh, you know, he, he holds them in high regard on an equal plane with the people who are obeying in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it's just it's, uh, profound. Well, notice the careful uh, stress on the fact that whoever these people are, they're not to be treated like people who are being cast out of the assembly. They're not to be treated like people who are excommunicated or kicked out of the church or treated like pagans or removed from the fellowship. But they're to be treated like brothers. Okay, So that's kind of our context here. Now, what was it that these people were doing that was so bad that what Paul would commit a fairly sizable portion of you know, scriptural real estate to address this problem and, and bring it up not, not once but another time? What is it that they're doing specifically? Well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, the, the scripture is silent as, as far as exactly what they're doing. But, I mean, we, do, we can see from the passage that there are some who are lazy, who are probably not working, who are probably sponging off of other people. Hey, guys, um, <laughs> I mean, it, it was a shock to me when I first started working at a church. How many people, how many phone calls every single week come into this church and churches all over the city? Somebody opens up the yellow pages. Beep, 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 beep. Grace of Ann, can I help you? Oh, I need $40. If I could just have that extra $40, I can pay my rent and get my muffler fixed too. And, and I'd just like to talk to the senior pastor. Oh, I'll get Dr. Young right away. You know, that's a mistake. Uh, you know, and, uh, but I, those calls come in over and over and over again. And the first one I took, I was like, oh, man, come on in. I'd love to meet with you personally and help you. Sit down, brother. What's wrong, you know? And after about your 18th one of those, you're thinking, I think there's a bunch of charlatans out there who do this for a living. It's amazing. They, they hang up from Grace of Van, they go to First of Van. They hang up from First of Van, they go to First of Van. They hang up, they go to Bellevue. And they go from First of Van. And that's why churches, including ours, has a guy who has it in his job description to field those calls. Did you know that? That's, that's sponging off the church. Well, whoever these people are, they're not to be sponging off the church, lazy, and not working. That's probably one of the things that they're guilty of. It also might be this. Here's another suggestion. Another suggestion is that these people have bought into the Greek uh, disdain for manual labor. Oh, well, manual labor, come on. We're Christians. I mean, we don't want to do that. You know, I mean, it's kind of like being an American. Oh, we're not going to do any manual labor. Come on. I'm not going to flip a burger. I'm a, my goodness, I have a master's degree. I've been out of work for 18 months, but I'm not going to turn a hamburger. Are you kidding me? We have a disdain for manual labor. 
That might be it. Maybe not. Here's another suggestion. Maybe these people, <laughs> this is kind of a funny one. I could see people doing this. Uh, maybe they were so sure Jesus was coming back that his return was imminent that they were like, oh, heck, who cares if I run out of savings? I mean, Jesus is coming back. Let's have some fun, you know? And so they're idle and not working. I mean, that's just kind of a funny suggestion, I think. Well, whatever the case, the effect on the body of believers was the same. In verse 6, it says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle. Now, if you've got another translation like the King James Version, it says, Keep away from everybody, a brother who walketh disorderly. Okay, that can't be good. Um, the English uh, Standard Version uh, keep away from everybody walking in idleness and not in accord with what you received. Again, that kind of has a military ring with it. I mean, you can imagine a bunch of soldiers walking in step, nice and crisp, and there's one guy going, doop, doop, burp, burp. I mean, you kind of stick out, you know? You're walking in a disorderly way. And that's why this is such a, an important issue to Paul and the health of the church at Thessalonica, because uh, when somebody's out of sync, when the drummer's thinking only about his own drums... He might be living his life, having fun, going through his activities. He might be thinking he's busy in his own mind. But what's happening is it's rippling through the body and it's affecting layer upon layer of people. And he might not even be aware of that. Well, let's, let's apply this to our lives. Um, at a former job, uh, there was a kind of a, not boss, but kind of a big shot guy and uh, kind of a money-making big shot dude. And uh, he, he gave a, a class or whatever to the new guys, the new financial morons. And um, he, he warned us against faking the day. And uh, I've never forgotten that. He, he warned us against faking the day. And he said, here's, what, here's faking the day. You know, you wake up and you take a shower and you shave and you put on a suit and tie. And you drive your cool car. It's clean. You drive it to work. And you come on in and, hi, good morning. Hey, Mabel, how are you? Oh, any news today? Here's the Wall Street Journal. You sit down at your desk. You read it. And uh, check my email. And, uh, oh, good. Listen, voicemail message. Oh, that's a funny YouTube video. That's, that YouTube's awesome. And, oh, we got a birthday party at 2 o'clock. Happy birthday, Elaine. You know, I mean, you go through all these little exercises. And at the end of the day, you're like, you pick up your briefcase and you walk out. You haven't done anything except kind of mill around. And uh, his warning was, don't fake the day. That's a good warning for the church, isn't it? We ought not fake the day. Yet my dog does that. I mean, we'll hear a little bump outside. It's nothing but a tree branch. She knows it. She's got a mind of a two-year-old, but she knows that's only a tree branch, not a burglar with a gun. But she still kind of goes, Rrr. you know, Rrr. she's like, hey, yeah, she's playing a little game. She's just playing. She's playing the day. She's faking. We're not to fake the day. We're not to play the day. We're supposed to live the day. We're supposed to live the day as ambassadors for Jesus Christ, as redeemed people. Um, I, I read one commentator, and uh, he spoke of these idle people, I-D-L-E people, and he called them the irregulars because they were the ones that stuck out, you know. They're the ones who aren't living the way they're supposed to be, and they kind of, they're irregular. They just kind of stick out. And, uh, you know, as, as I was reading that, I'm thinking, to speak candidly, I'm not sure that's right. You know, he wrote that in 1955, and I'm not sure that was right in 1955. In my own experience, I think it's the opposite. <laughs> How about you? I mean, I'm looking at the Elder Emeritus. What do you think I'm right, Bob? I think the Irregulars 
are the ones who are digging their heels in and serving really hard. At least statistically they are. You know the 80-20 thing? You know about that? The 20% of the people give 80% of the monies and 20% of the people do 80% of the work. So 80% of the people don't do anything except leech and then the 20% of the people seed. If you have visited BitTorrent websites. But uh, nobody knows what I'm talking about. But anyway, um, I think the irregulars are the ones who are faithful. uh, Who are the ones that are eager the ones that are enthusiastic, that have good attitudes, the ones that are sacrificial, the ones that are passionate for the Lord Jesus Christ, the ones who come to stuff and come to stuff on time and are active for Christ and so on. Now, that might be too hard, um, but you're the Wednesday night crowd. You know, I feel like I can speak freely here. Um, You've got to admit that um, the hard workers, the enthusiastic people, the guys who, you know, that uh, say, uh, they don't say why it can't happen, but they say why it can happen, those kinds of people tend to stick out in the church world, don't they, a little bit? It's supposed to be the other way around, and uh, I've got another application for that, but I'm going to save it for our last point. Um, Let's go to point number two, how to lead with your life. Look at verse 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. now, that's, that's the Apostle Paul talking about Paul and Silas and Timothy and how when, when Paul and Silas and Timothy were there, they didn't take any handouts. They didn't take anything from anybody. They worked uh, and so on. And now, right now, I know there's a thought running through some of your minds, and uh, I don't want you to trip over that thought and think about it and not think about what the, the real point is, what the thought that might be running through your mind is, uh, well, if they didn't pay Paul, then why are we paying these idiots? That's a good question. I mean, <laughs> Why can't I go work at the accounting firm like you and then come here and do the stuff that I do? Well, um, there's a scriptural basis for that. Um, I mean, Paul, Paul uh, he makes reference to it. Um, he makes reference to it in this passage, actually. He says in verse 9, we didn't have to do it. Uh, not that we don't have the right to such help. He's saying it's okay to, it's okay to pay your clergy, uh, you know, exorbitant amounts of money is what I think I'm reading. But, no, he says, um, but in... Um, in 1 Timothy 5, uh, that's just a couple pages over uh, to the right, a couple pages over. 1 Timothy 5, um, verse um, 17, <laughs> listen to this. That, uh, this, uh, this never ceases to make me laugh when I read it. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. And I read that and I think, <laughs> that's awesome. feel pretty good about my, okay, now, but Wait. He qualifies it. He goes, for the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while he's treading out the grain. The worker deserves his wages. Isn't that kind of cool? Oh, those preachers and teachers. Uh, just a dumb old ox, you know, pulling something through the field, basically. But um, anyway, so put that, put that mind to rest. Uh, and I think it's going to support what I'm about to say, too. I think what Paul and Silas and Timothy were doing and were exhorting others to do and us to do is to lead with their very lives. Uh, the question is, lead whom? And uh, lead where? Well, in the passage, look at verse 9 now. He said, we did this not because we have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Now, it's, it's not unlikely that they knew about this problem. It's not unlikely. I'm not trying to import my own little thoughts in the scripture, but it's not unlikely 
that knowing that they had the right for compensation as, as traveling intermittent clergy, knowing they had the right to that, that compensation, that they abstained from it and rather worked, they may have had a meeting beforehand and said, you know what, let's not take anything, let's work the whole time so that we can say, you who are idle, so that we can address this problem. I mean, it's just so pastorally rich, I think. Um, basically, what they're calling those people to is to sacrificial living, which you've heard Dr. Young talk about a, a majillion times. Um, sacrificial living, which is, of course, Christ-likeness. I mean, that's how Christ came. He didn't come to uh, be served, but to serve. Well, how should we apply all that to our lives? Um, well, let's start with um, our church. Um, let's start with the biggest viewpoint uh, in our church. Let's talk about our church. Um, who's seen me moving through the halls on Sunday morning? What condition am I in? You know, okay, I, I know that I'm in danger of a heart attack. I know that. Uh, but, I mean, am I moving? Am I just kind of like, burr, 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 it's Sunday. You know, what's my attitude? I mean, I'm huffing it. Now, I will admit that uh, much of that is sheer horror. Uh, because I go from one room in front of people to another room in front of people to another room in front of That's very motivating. It's not necessarily righteousness. It's, it's just, you know, you don't want to be humiliated is, is a great part of the fallenness of it. But all I'm saying to you is uh, on Sunday, I mean, we come home and uh, uh, we, go, we eat some food and uh, I take a shower and I, take it and I go right to bed and fall asleep. And, uh, I mean, I need a shower after Sunday because I'm just booking it, you know. And I enjoy booking it on Sunday. And I bet you... I touch a hundred people on a Sunday morning. That's no exaggeration. I mean, I'm just walking through the hall. I'm like, hey, man, bang. hey, how you doing? Uh, and I'll see a little kid, and can I use you for a second? I do this with junior high. Stand up a second. I'll see some junior hit Kai kid I've never met in my life. I'll walk past him in the hall and just go, I just give him a shove. And uh, they love it. They love it. They're like, man, that guy pushed me for no reason. Wow. They think it's cool, you know? And... Uh, but, but I, I do that because, honestly, I, I feel, and I'm not saying, oh, look at me, I'm so great. I'm not saying that. What I'm telling you is that I feel a weight of responsibility for the whole church. Not that I'm everywhere in the whole church. I'm certainly not in the nursery. I'm certainly not down the hall doing this other thing over here. But I, I feel this weight of responsibility for the whole church. And I'm saying to you that that's what we we're all supposed to be feeling. We're all supposed to walk through the hall. You know, when I see a visitor walk in, you know, Gwen, are you in the room, Gwen Scholes? Anyway, your neighbors or some, uh, some guy that started working with you this week came in from Maryland. And I heard somebody outside, and, oh, no, 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 we moved just here from Maryland. I'm out the door, and I'm like, hey, you're from Maryland? What about that, you know? Well, that's the way we're all supposed to be. Not just because I work here and we're trying to get the numbers up. Uh, we're all supposed to be like that. We're all supposed to be on all the time. And I appeal to you with the Wednesday night pious uh, to make that a part of your thinking uh, here in this church. Okay, let's, uh, let me say this too. Um, if you asked employers, you know we have employers in this room, don't we? You have people who work for you. If I asked the employers in this room what they wanted out of their employees, you know, we'd get a variety of answers, I'm sure. We'd get like, well, honesty or loyalty. Um, stuff like that, you know. Um, but I think it would all point to ultimately this answer, which is ownership. I mean, if you own the company, don't you want people who work for you that act like they own the company too? 
you know, they care about the cash register drawer and they care about being on time and they care about keeping the customer happy and they care about so-and-so's complaint and making it right. Don't, isn't that what you want as an employer? Somebody, don't you want that as a parent? I mean, you give your kid a phone and they break it within two weeks and you're like, man, would you take some ownership? That's why you make, need to make them work and give you some money for it. Otherwise, they'll never respect it because they don't feel ownership. Well, that's what, that's what the king of all kings, I think, would want from us, ladies and gentlemen. You know, we're not to view the kingdom as uh, broken down into little components and stuff. Our ministries all overlap, and we should care about the other stuff that happens in the church and our lives and the people and the visitors and somebody that's walking around the hallway that looks a little bit confused. We're supposed to feel the responsibility for that. You're walking out to your car and you see a nail on the ground? Pick the thing up. They all matter to the Savior. And you can see that uh, that spreads into every area of your life too, doesn't it? Not just here at the church, but, uh, I mean, uh, the house you live in. Um, Everywhere you go. Everything you own. Every child you raised. Every breath you take. Every dollar you've got. Every room in your house doesn't belong to you. You're just a steward. You know, God's just loaned it to you. You know, the owner's loaned it to you, and he wants you to treat it like the owner wants you to treat it. Um, you ever watch Dr. Young feed? I mean, eat? <laughs> Is this being recorded? Who's eating with Dr. Young? You know, people will visit this church. We've heard, I mean, here's Jonathan Todd. He'll tell you. We've heard people a million times. They'll come and they'll visit, and they'll be like, well, I don't know about that Dr. Young. I mean, he's just... He's bigger than life. He's so intense, you know. And, and I'll always say the same thing. Have you eaten with him? You ought to try it. Because when somebody eats with Dr. Young, uh, suddenly they realize, oh, he really is that way. It's not some act. He's not acting in the pulpit. He's that way all the time. And, and uh, if you've eaten with Dr. Young, I mean, you go out with him, and, you know, he's kind of intense anyway, and he's talking, and, he's, and he has about seven iced teas. And then so do you. You know, you're like, fill it up, fill it up. And you're just pounding these iced teas. And by the end of it, you're just so full of adrenaline and caffeine. And Dr. Young's here. And you go, yeah, I know, Dr. Young, I know. And, you know, you go out to your car kind of like a junkie. And, and, but what you find happens is his energy level is here. And you become acclimated to it. And I'm saying that in the life of the church, that's what you want. Uh, friends, I'm telling you, we've watched in this city, and I don't say this flippantly or lightly at all, we've watched church after church after church after church go through heartache, and I'm telling you, our staff hasn't taken it lightly. We've prayed for them behind closed doors. We've grieved over them. We know people who work at other churches, and we've seen people, maybe some of you, who were at other churches and came through our door and saw you limping in and saw your hurt and pain, and I mean, it's just, it's rough, you know? But I look at our church, and I honestly think, The Lord has given us momentum. You know, there's wind in the sail right now. And the road seems to be broad and it seems to be moving ahead. And I think this is the day where we ought to be excited about it and not complacent, not coasting. But this ought to be a day where we're just going, you know what, God, you gave us the gift of momentum and we ought to be excited about it and become acclimated to that. I think think the irregular people like you uh, who stick out maybe, um, ought to be pace setters and, and try to bring other people up to your energy level. I think that's what the Lord Christ would have us do by our own service, by our own example, just like Paul and Silas and Timothy. Let's move it a little bit closer. 
how can you do these kinds of things in a smaller way? Well, um, you can commit to a ministry. You know, you, you pray about it. Hey, honey, are we going to go to such and such a thing, a class or a grace group or, a, a, you know, this? Let's really think. Yes, yes, the Lord has affirmed in our hearts that we're going to do that. Well, go do it then. Don't sort of do it. Don't not go because it's raining. Don't not go because it's been a busy week this week. Go. You know, honor your commitment. Let your yay be yay. That's a tiny way that you can acclimate to the blessings that God has poured out, obviously, around us. How about leading your family? You know, uh, I, I don't have time to go into it, but there's an awful lot said about a man leading a family, and sometimes there's too much said about a man leading a family, like, well, my husband, I don't read the Bible because my husband doesn't read the Bible. I don't pray because my husband doesn't pray. Well, you know what? You're not off the hook, honey. I mean, it, it, not everything's on his shoulders. You can open up the book, and you can read it too, and you can pray too, and I mean, don't dump all that on him. But I will say this, dudes, you ought to be the guy. Hey, I'll tell you what, in India... When you go to these little village churches, you drive five and a half hours out in the middle of nowhere. There's no light bulbs or anything. And you go to this little village church, it's 45 ladies and four dudes. In place after place after place. That's the sin propensity we have, men, is to be complacent and let the ladies who are more emotive. Let the ladies who feel things more deeply. Let the ladies who, who uh, are maybe striving to hear the voice of the Lord more diligently. Let them do all that. And the dudes are just kind of like, well, there's only four of us, you know. And all four of us are elders. I mean, how awkward is that? What I'm saying to you dudes is that you ought to be the ones going, we're going to church in the morning, everybody. And I mean chop, chop. So get your stuff together. The car's pulling out at 914. And uh, I expect you all to be down there, and Dad's going, and when Dad's going, that means everybody's going. Oh, buddy, we had a party last night, and you had to clean up like... Look, I'm going to church, and so is everybody. So get it through your heads, where a bus is about to leave. I'm telling you, that's a way that you can acclimate people uh, to the right level of service and energy. Uh, I'll give you one last one, and then we'll, we'll close it up. Um, force your children at gunpoint to go to stuff. Oh, but Daddy, I don't really fit into that youth group. Can't we visit another church? Sure, sunshine. Don't do that. Kick him in the door. Make him go. You know, nothing like trapping them on the bus for a few hours, and uh, all of a sudden they're in a waterfall and they're going on a zip line, and they're like, oh, this is fun, you know. And then they give them a video at the end to prove it to them. I mean, force your children at gunpoint. Don't wimp out. Don't follow them all over the city because my baby's not happy. Just make them go. Let them get acclimated to the blessings that God has provided in your church home. All right, last point. And this is where we're going to kind of wrap it up. He ain't heavy, he's my brother. Look at verse, verse 14. We're talking about this idle person in the church that's struggling with this sin problem. And uh, you're supposed to separate yourself from him. Here's, here's, here's the end to all that, the, the, um, the goal. If anyone doesn't obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Don't associate with him. In order that he may feel ashamed, yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Again, this is not a formal act of discipline, excuse me, where they're kicking some guy out. It, it may be, but it's certainly not confined to that. Application, maybe. I mean, the goal is restoration, right? The goal is restoration. Maybe, rather than seeing this on some big grand, the church exercises this authority as elders, maybe... Uh, this trickles down to you, personally, you who are friends with this person, you who love this person. 
maybe a part of your enthusiastic service is to be um, an exhorter of the souls that God has put around you and in love to stimulate others to love and good deeds. Maybe uh, you're called upon uniquely to approach that one person that you've got a connect- connection with and say, hey, Bob, let's go do this thing together, you know? Maybe that's a good, that's, maybe that's a good role of service for you. Maybe you're supposed to be a mini Dr. Young, all hopped up on iced tea walking around this church looking for something to do and help, you know? All right, last thing, and I'll, we'll quit. Um, my parents uh, owned a coffee shop and, uh, <laughs> in the Chicago area. It was called the Gourmet Chalet, and it was really a cool place. I mean, we loved it, didn't we, honey? Um, where, are, where, where are you? Yeah, we loved it. And uh, uh, it was like a Starbucks slash Williams-Sonoma. So uh, it was, they sold gourmet coffee and uh, ups, high-end gourmet food preparation stuff. You know, it was really a cool store, and I got a lot of cool stuff. Every Christmas I'd be like, can I have this, can I have this, can I have this? It was really cool. But I'd go in that store, and it'd be jam-packed at Christmas time. Christmas is music is playing, and extra employees, and it's hustle-bustle. And I'd be like, wow, Mom and Dad's store, this is so cool, you know. And I'd walk to the back through these, like, saloon door things, you know. And I'd walk through them, and I'd hear the employees going, sir! Sir, sir, you can't go back there. Bathroom around, bathroom's around the corner. And I'd be like, it's okay. And I'd go sit down at the desk and open up the drawers. Sir, sir, they were just... And I'd finally say, it's okay. I'm the son of the owner. <laughs> oh, okay. I got to walk around kind of like I was the owner, you know? You know, friends, I, when, you, when you teach in little big church like this, you've got to come up with a title before the message is even written. That's difficult. And so for the bulletin, you know, Gwen needs it for the bulletin. And anyway, so I had come up with these titles, like one commentarian called uh, the, the idle people, the do-nothingers. And I thought, ooh, how about the do-somethingers? Kind of snazzy, isn't it? Well, it looks really stupid written down, if you can see it. It just looks really dumb. And then um, another title I came up with, I was thinking of, well, peace within the church is because of people who are living out their faith. So this is the genius uh, idea I came up with. I've got peace like a liver. You know, it's snappy, but again, looks really bad in print. And then I got another one, you know, the irregulars. Well, that gets worse the more you think about it, you know. Um, so that's why I came up with uh, busy body or busy body. You get it? Busy. Do you have a busy body you? Are we a busy body of believers or are we just a bunch of busy bodies who are out of step? Well, um, almost done here. As for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right, says the Bible in our passage. So ask yourself before the Lord. Ask yourself every day about everything. Uh, am I behaving like someone related to the owner? Righteous Father, we come before you and we remember that we belong to you, that we've been purchased with the blood of your own Son, that our lives are yours, our heartbeats are yours, our days are ordained by you, and uh, all the blessings that you brought about in our lives are uh, straight from your storehouses. And so we pray that you would impress that upon our souls, Lord, and I pray specifically for this room full of people, Lord, this particular Um, Wednesday night group made of all these specific individuals, Lord. 
uh, we pray that we might be the irregulars, that we might be the ones who are the uh, most energized, the most grateful, the ones who see the need, the ones who are always looking, and we pray that you would put uh, people in the midst of our paths that uh, you might take a pocket full of irregular people and uh, that one day we might have the joy of seeing others acclimated uh, even to where we are. And we pray it in Christ's name and only in his power.